Hello and welcome to the Dr. Squee Show podcast for this week, taken from my radio show. Some of the music will be trimmed shorter, but if it is played in full, it is with full permission of the artist. Otherwise, it's trimmed for rights reasons. Please enjoy this podcast, and if you want to catch us live, you can catch us on the Bear.Live every Thursday, 8pm till 10pm UK time. For now, please enjoy this week's show. Welcome to the show with your friend and mine. So tell me, Dr. Squee, who's it gonna be this time? We like to hear you talk, and we love to hear you listen. And if you are not subscribed, you won't know what you're missing. So welcome to the Dr. Squee Show. Welcome to the Dr. Squee Show. Welcome to the Dr. Squee Show. Headphones up. Here we go. Hello, my name is Mike Fenton Stevens. You're listening to the Dr. Squeed Show on the Bear. Now put your clothes back on. Hello and welcome to the Dr. Squeed Show. I'm Dr. Squeed and this is my show. It's 8pm, it's a Thursday and we're here on the Bear.Live. Exciting times, people. We've got an amazing show coming up for you. We have got Johnny Sweet. Uh, he's the director, uh, the Emmy Award winning, I might add, director, who joined me to talk about his new documentary, which is Last Call, the shutdown of the New York City bars, and it's all about the shutdown during the coronavirus. And uh, guys, look, I know it might sound like, you know, why does uh, the shutdown of New York City bars matter to me? But man, this is A, such a well-told story, but also the fact that it's resonates so much with a lot of the experiences I had certainly and I know a lot of us had in common that of which where we felt uh, a bit lost when the pandemic pandemic first hit when we first heard about it, we just didn't think it was going to be a thing then to when it hit to then when we started worrying about our loved ones to then when we turned to things like projects during lockdown and uh, all these stages this documentary perfectly hits and perfectly um delivers that kind of pang of nostalgia to you for those times uh, good and bad really amazing so glad that i got to talk to johnny by the way johnny sweet doesn't that sound like i like i i assume it's his real name but it sounds a bit like it is a made-up hollywood name it's just that big hey johnny sweet the director try uh, you know in hollywood town yo i don't know what that was either guys i don't look live radio what am i gonna say anyway guys like um, i'm not gonna lie guys it's been hot and sunny here in the UK. I am melting a little bit, so is my brain. The last last three nights I've been awake um, very early, either due to uh, the dogs not sleeping or one of the dogs being sick because of the heat and having to take her down to the call and look after her, or uh, last night just me waking up first thing in the morning. But man, uh, between that and a couple of cocktails, I must admit, I've had tonight. Uh, this is going to be a bumpy ride, guys. That's all I'm going to say. But it'll be a good one. It'll be a good time had by all. Hopefully, you're, you're having a good time out there and you're keeping cool, keeping hydrated. Very important in this weather. But yeah, as well as that, we've also, uh, yeah, of course, that interview with uh, Johnny Sweet. We've also got the big question of the week, which this week is all about uh, if you had a cult, what would your cult be? And what would the first rule of that cult be? We had a lot of uh, really fun answers. If you've got any more answers, please do hit us up on social media at Dr. Squee on Twitter, Dr. Squee Show page on uh, Facebook and uh, wherever else you might find us. And uh, we'll, we will read out your answers as well as that. 
Nicola's going to join me to talk about, well, she is joining me for the uh, answer to the big question of the week. She's also joining me to talk about Loki, which we didn't get to last week, and uh, the finale of that show. And also about Black Widow, which we saw this week, which was amazing. Uh, spoiler alert. Uh, but anyway, guys, look, let's get some tunes. It is, of course, a bright sunny evening. So we're going to be playing a few tracks which deal with sunshine in the title. But before that... This week, the Bare Naked Ladies released their new album. It was Friday, the day after the last show. And uh, man, I was I was nervous. I love the Bare Naked Ladies. I wanted their new album to be amazing. And it did not disappoint. You really want to check it out. Uh, so many great tunes. But we're going to kick off with their new single. So this is from the Bare Naked Ladies from the album Detour de Force. This is Good Life. You're listening to The Bear and The Dr. Squeeze Show on a Thursday night at 8 p.m. And we're back, and uh, that was Steal My Sunshine by Len. So, a uh, wonderful track for a summer's day, and of course, Sunshine, Steal My Sunshine, because it's hot as fuck. Uh, what? Sorry, it sounds like we're... Um, I can hear, like, a hollow sound. Yeah, I think that's you going against the um, the chair. No, no, I thought it was repeating back to us. That's no, no, it's, it's, look, you could slightly quiet. hear the headphones, which wouldn't have come ah, out of the microphone. Ah, sorry. See... <laughs> You're ruining the live radio. Look, I was about to introduce you. You can't talk before you're introduced because you don't exist yet. Okay, I don't exist yet. I will call you into an existence. Into an existence. I will call you into an... I will call you when I want you. I will call you into existence. Because, you know, the patriarchy. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that really works around here. (laughs) So, guys, um, it's time for this... Hi, this is oh, it's no, it's time for this. the Big Question of the Week. On so what's the Big Question of the Week, listening to the Dr. Squee Show. Well, the, the Big Question of the Week this week is, of course, uh, going around the idea of if you were going to set up a cult, what cult would you set up? And what would the first rule be? Because me and Nicola, we've been watching uh, The Handmaid's Tale. And uh, Nicola actually, by coincidence, happened to look up, um, you know, questions of the week because we were looking at things we might ask on the show. And she happened to come across this one, which was saying about if you were going to set up a cult, what would it be your cult be on? You did look oh, up. You're looking so blankly at me. That sounds like an evening, though, of me just randomly <laughs> looking yeah. up shit. I was going, oh, what should I say is the big question of the week this week? And you're going, oh, OK, I'll Google questions. Oh, was that when you said, oh, I've got another one that I'm going to ask or something? Yeah, I used another one that week. But seeing as we've been watching The Handmaid's Tale, which seems so apropos of this sort of thing. Right. So The Handmaid's Tale, for anyone who hasn't watched yet, it's uh, based around this woman who uh, it starts off in this uh, world un- unlike our own. And this woman is uh, basically subjugated as a... Um, I'm really doing a bad job of describing it. It's a dystopian world. So essentially... So women are like slaves and they're not listened to. Suddenly a man will burst in when they're talking. Sorry, Nicola. I know. And some of them die. And also with the man... <laughs> 
<laughs> so on a serious note, obviously it's about a dystopian world. Um, they've kind of uh, brought it together to what in their own heads, in their own word delusion, they want to make the perfect world. They want to take it back. Children are at an all-time low. Um, births are at an all-time low. So they believe in this world where there's wives and husbands basically knitting and the husband's in charge they can't read um, no, no the, the wife can't read oh, so, so the husbands can, can read. read husbands can do anything they like yeah you just said they can't read pretty anywhere. much anywhere they like um but then they have these handmaids that produce the children essentially but it's it's a program that i find really fascinating usually i have a lot to say about it because i just think it's just awful and i usually have a i I love the program but i i have a lot to say about it and i usually ends up me suggesting that people are are murdered when they're yeah yeah basically while uh we watch this nicola plots her list of people who need to die for this the acts they might do like this Yeah. yeah Uh, we love the show, though. I mean, it's um, it's a real tough watch because basically, yeah, you see these women getting brutalised and tortured and being used as sex slaves. So those are the handmaids. They're used by the husbands and wives uh, to be the uh, incubator for their child, basically. So the uh, husband uh, fucks the, the handmaid and the handmaid's holding on to the wife's hands. Yeah. So the idea is like their proxy for their uterus. Well, and just the women he just used like that so it's it's real brutal watch I've always said that if they made it even a touch more brutal it would be unwatchable but they've made it just as brutal enough that it's compelling viewing well with that I think what it is as well in their heads and I'm going to say it in their heads um, I think it's a case of what they feel is if they do that they're part of it so if they're holding their hands they're the one who's being impregnated because later on when the handmaid has the child the wife's this makes me laugh every time she's there not pregnant but going through the pregnancy and it's i think that's what it is it's it's that's what in their heads they think that they're part of it and i don't know yeah that's the idea so like when they uh, uh you've got the uh handmaid giving birth to the child and you've got the um the, the wife who's in there pretending to be pregnant and she'll start suddenly deep breathing and uh if she's caught smoking during the pregnancy of the handmaid, people go, it's like, oh, that isn't good for the baby, as if that affects her body. It's it's a real messed up kind of scenario. For me, this is a personal thing for me, um, I always know when someone's, for me, is a really good actor because if somebody can make me hate them, and it's it's very similar to Michael, is it Michael? Co- no, it's what's his name from Cobra Kai? Sensei. Michael Cove? No, it's not Michael Cove, though, is it? I... Anyway, I'm going to apologise. I really hate him, right? And usually with programmes, I can sit there and go, I just like this character, but I know he's a character. But actually, when they're so good at it, I like go, I hate you anyway. <laughs> yeah, because you're talking about uh, Aunt Lydia in the show. So there's this uh, yes. this female character who, the idea is that uh, certain women are set up as sort of like nuns and they look after the handmaids and they teach them to do right. So if they misbehave, they torture them brutally. Uh, they kind of, uh, you know, if a woman's uncooperative in the bedroom to a, uh, a man who they're forced to have sex with, uh, they can get the clitoris cut, cut off. It's really that no, brutal. That it's really that tough. Because she was a lesbian. No, no, she was a lesbian, but I'm saying 
for whatever reason, yeah. if you don't obey the rules, you can have these horrendous things mm. happen to you. Anyway, look, this was only meant to describe what the big question of the sorry, week is. You know, on, on Lydia is a, an amazing character. It's basically this this woman who's just uh, so brutal and talks to these women but thinks she's on their side. She's an awful character, but amazing actress. Yeah. You said she was an awesome ca- uh, character, which I know you didn't mean. It's an awesome character. It is still uh, an awesome uh, character. Yeah, no, I said awesome character. Yeah. And it is an awesome character. It doesn't mean it's, it's a good person yeah. that playing but anyway the actress is amazing uh we love it but anyway that's marked up the big question of the week if you were going to start a cult what cult would it be and what would the the first rule be now nicola have you got one for us well i was thinking about this earlier because i'm quite interchangeable as you know you often describe (laughs) (laughs) oh sorry we weren't talking about that okay yeah Um, so you often describe me as a butterfly and that you need a butterfly (laughs) which is very true actually um but I was thinking about this, and I think for me, my cult would change on a daily basis <laughs> with daily base change rules. The cult of the mood swing. Yeah, well, not the mood swings. I don't like that. The mood swing. Version. No, no, not the mood swing. <laughs> she has mood swings. No, I don't have. It's when, as we mentioned last week, when the drugs start running low, she starts having the mood swings. Oh. You know, bad Nicola comes out. Shut up. <laughs> Nobody is ever going to believe you. <laughs> is it me laughing as soon as I've said it that gives gonna, it away? I'm going to start a cult that's against people that say mood swings. <laughs> and the first rule is eliminate everyone that says mood swings. See what I mean? I'm very interchangeable. <laughs> Basically, the first rule of Nicola's cult, whatever it's meant to be, is like, just take any motherfucker out you fancy. Yeah, yeah. That's probably what would happen by day, day two. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, I want to hear everyone else's. Apologise the. I apologise for the severe bad language this earlier on the show. We usually make over twenty minutes, but anyway, that's fine. Uh, Stuart, my son has put my cult would be based on Barney the dinosaur. I mean, already I'm loving it. The first rule would be that we don't talk about it. Kind of like Fight Club. Nice one, Stuart. Yeah, you just have the pink dinosaur there, and you never talk about it. No one will ever notice. Yeah. And then you don't have to tell your friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mark Kirby, our good friend, uh, we we spoke about his uh, son's birthday last week. Yeah. Grayson's uh, second birthday, third. Third, I think. Jeez. Very little boy. Okay, yeah. uh, Mark's point anyway. I'm already part of a cult. It's tall, called Tell Him Steve Dave. We are now, part of that cult. Yeah, if, if you don't know about Tell Him Steve Dave, it's an amazing podcast. Um, you know, I, I, I admit, even, even that beats this uh, humble show that we put on here. That's how we met. It is. It is. Uh, Nick and I genuinely met around our fandom of this this podcast, Tell Them Steve Dave, and the fans of that podcast call themselves, and we call ourselves, The Ants. Um, All based around a joke from one of the shows where it's like, you know, ants, buy stuff, buy stuff. (laughs) ants, yeah. Yeah. It's really great. Um, We love it. And yeah, so, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Mark, of course, celebrates that. For for TSD. Yeah, I mean, Some also, days. well, yeah, yeah, I mean, <laughs> obviously other days I wrote it, but that's not the point. And no, no, I mean, um, uh, yeah, we met through Ant Moots, mm, so yeah. there are little meetups meet-up for the job. people who are, are fans of the particular podcast. Uh, yeah. So that's how we met. Yeah. Yeah. And also, it's worth saying, uh, if you're a fan, a fan of Impractical Jokers, Q from Practical Jokers is in Tom Steve Dave. That was his the podcast he was doing before that. Only thing I would say is he's a little bit different Oh, yeah, yeah, he's a bit more raw and reels on that show, we should yeah. say. But anyway, look, Mark's put, I'm already part of a cult. It's called Tell Steve Dave. I've said, okay, what's the first rule of the cult? 
He's going, I'm pretty sure it's don't be a prick and please buy the merch. <laughs> and I put... That's a good rule. I think and I put be an ant, not a termite, which means you buy stuff you don't feed off people. Yeah. Which is from Tom Steve Day. But probably is don't be a prick and buy the merch. <laughs> I think buy the don't merch. Don't be a prick and buy the merch. No, buying the merch isn't being a prick. But that's, no, don't be a prick and buy the merch as a separate Yeah, word. put the comma in there. Yeah. And we've got, uh, sorry, anyway, so Mark, we, we send love to you, our aunt brother. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Will Lowe's put, I will start a Star Wars appreciation club and the first rule is when you see Jar Jar, Jar Jar shoots him. Not Jar Jar as in Gabor. Jar Jar as in Binks. Oh uh, no! Why would you, he's the one? Uh, sorry, I'm not. He's are the one who thinks he's Jamaican, but he's a bit of a stereotype, which we don't approve of. Okay, I'm gonna have. By the way, that's just how Jar Jar spoke. I, I wasn't doing an impression of anyone but Jar Jar. Were just, just to make that clear. Gabor? I can't. I can't yeah, Jar Gabor. That's who yes. I was doing an impression Hello, of. Darlings. <laughs> just I, making I sure. I can't comment because I don't. I haven't really watched Star Wars enough to comment on that. Well, there's All to right. your detriment. Anyway. It is true. Katie Millard Starkey. She's put, uh, years ago, my RPG group was sat in the university bar. The discussion ended up on cults and what type of cult we would set up if we could. That night, the cult of Santa was born. First rule for membership scrolled on a series of Guinness bar mats. First rule was that all members should carry their sleigh belts at all times and jingle them on command. Jingling on command. We're always in favour of that in this household. Jingle your bells. Come on, love. Jingle your bells. Yeah, I, I love those. And that speaks to those drunken nights out where you're just talking absolute shit <laughs> and getting shit-faced. And actually, you know, if we were naked on this podcast, it would be jingling your bells, wouldn't it? Well, where'd that come from? Oh, I'll just... You know I'll, I'll drop trout, shall I? I'll tell you why. Because I was just thinking to myself, wouldn't it be nice to not have any clothes on right now? And that's just because I'm so hot. I'm, I'll tell you what, I'm hot. I'm sweaty. And so, I'm, I'm guys, sweaty. if you're listening, she's hot, she's sweaty. She wants to drop her clothes. Just keep listening and donate at drsquee at paypal.com. You're going to lose all your listeners now. They'll be like, ooh. <laughs> hot, sweaty, Nicola is, is waiting for your call. Hot, sweaty and grumpy. Isn't crumpy Benny? Pound a minute. <laughs> uh, so, um, do you phone now? Yeah. <laughs> Next answer. Oh, how do we get to that? It's Beach Anderson, our great friend from uh, Down Under. I'd start a dog cult. The first rule is that only um, po- positive reinforcement, life training. And after a few months, I'll poison you all and keep your dogs. Wait, I wasn't meant to say that right part, that last part aloud. I like that idea. And I think what B should do is he should franchise it out because he lives in... Australia. Australia. And he should franchise it out to us here in the UK. And then we train dogs and then poison their owners to keep them. He could start a whole business, franchising. I'm a bit worried about the glint I see in Nicholas' eyes on some occasions. the dogs. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Nicker Brown, uh, easy. I would combine hedonism and Christianity, teaching people about forgiveness uh, for their sins in exchange for pleasure. Start by convincing some hot but broke people to start bringing in people who want to bang them whilst hearing about some tweaked Christian values. Oh, voila, easy bake sex cult. And the first rule... 
True love enters through the back door. That is, by the way, a quote from Nico. That is, I'm not sure that he put it in that way that you're doing some sleazy sex talk. Like, he put, oh, I, true love, I, love he enters through the back door. It, That's uh, how he wrote it. Did he speak like that? Yeah, he? yeah, he wrote it as in, in parentheses or, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, in brackets. I'm not sure he spoke like that because he'd actually want people through the door. Parentheses. I've been watching too much American stuff. In brackets. Anyway. Pretty sure that that's how uh, Nico wanted to be read. Dan Gross, I'm already am- immersed in the cult of Due South. Of course, we love Due South. We love our Due South friends. We're going to be uh, doing some more episodes of Due South by Southeast very soon. Dan's put, and separately, my own version of the cult of Tribbles. It's called Yarn. What's the first rule of Tribble Yarn? Dan's put, you buy a skin. I have no idea what skin is. Oh, did they not put it in a storage bag, usually with other skins. I don't know what one is. And then they seem to magically multiply. No, they didn't tell me. Uh, you know what made me laugh is when you asked me what it was to do with knitting, and I was like, "Why are you asking me?" Oh, you said so defensively as well. Uh, Why are you asking me? Like, what? What? I'm a no because I'm a woman, huh? No, I did not say that. I just said. Yeah, you said. That. I just said I have no idea. I remember knitting when I was about eight, and I can't. <laughs> when you were skipping through the valleys. Yes. <laughs> I know nothing about things like that. I'm afraid. Steve Clark's pet. Mine would be a cult of inclusion. First rule, membership only. Or a cult like of that. or a cult of tacos. First rule uh, not to be held on a Tuesday. Oh. I like the inclusion one. <laughs> That's very clever. First rule membership only. Yeah, I mean the, I like that. And what I love about it, that is Steve. I love Steve to bits. He's a really great friend yeah. for many a year, but my god is he uh he likes a bit of contrarianism. That's all I'm going to say. And I put so basically, a cult is a way for you to be as contrary as you like, uh, as you ideally like to be in your average life. He's but yep, you know me too well. <laughs> the thing is, though, if you just advertise it like that about the inclusion, about the members only, you don't have to tell anyone what it's about. Yeah, and then they get there and you go fuck off. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like Benny's cult. <laughs> the cult is just me and my mummy. No fuck off. <laughs> That would be about right. By the way, Benny, our dog, for any new yeah, listeners. Yeah, Benny, our dog. Yeah, that would be it. It's just me and my mummy. That is it. And Dottie would have the Mar Baker cult. Right, okay. You see, you're going references, which only we know oh, for the okay, audience sorry. game. So basically, we always say, I always laugh because Dottie is very treat orientated. And I always say she, she looks like tribute Mar Baker with a beret and a pearls. Mar Baker was like a mobster, old mother mobster. But she always reminds me of. Um, of that where she'd come along and go, what do you got for me, boys? Like, really, like a Fagin, but Mar Baker. And Benny completely looks up to Dottie. Like, always, yeah. she, he's like, is this okay? Or he'll do something, then he'll turn around and look at her like, am I okay? Yeah, <laughs> like, you're not going to yeah. beat me for that, are you? <laughs> it's a lot cuter than we're describing it. It probably sounds like one dog's beating the other, but it's, it's not that bad. Yeah. If anything, actually, when they go out, Benny, because he always wants to play, starts nipping at uh, Dottie's um, neck. Yeah. And it's like completely playful, but it's like, oh, for Christ's sake, just leave her alone, man. I know. Sometimes I'm there going, just just smack him one, Dottie. Go on. Just smack him. He's got to learn. Just smack him one. <laughs> uh, uh, my good buddy, Dave McKenna's pit. Mine would be a cult of the cult lovers playing the cult RPG. Basically, everyone would be dressed like a the lead singer of the cult was playing the amazing RPG cult with a K, listening to She Sells Sanctuary on loop. See, at last Dave's come in with something that's, sensible. That's quite an interesting one. Colin, Colin, Col. Colin, Colin, Colin. Don't say that any faster than I just did because it could come out wrong. Yeah. 
I mean, Al's pretty generous with me with the uh, language stuff on the show, but let's not push it too far. That's right when we're drunk. <laughs> what do you mean, when? Like, I've had a couple of drinks and all the other liquid has gone out of my body through the sun. I know. Or heat, as some other people might put it. Well, I've, I mean, this is my first one tonight and I had 12 other drinks. I've had a headache all day. Yeah. So, drinking. Yay! Yeah, drinking headache. Yeah, I'm dehydrated. And I've got a scrunking headache, but... So I find booze is helpful. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm going to have an headache, I'm going to have a worthwhile headache. We'll be back in a minute. We're going to talk a bit of Loki and a bit of, uh, of um, you know, uh, Black Widow, if I can remember the, na- the name of the show we're going to be talking about. Yeah, okay, cool. So let's have some tracks. In the meantime, uh, these are a couple of summer-themed tracks. So we're going to start off with uh, Walking on the Sun. Walking on the Sun, even. And this is by Smash Mouth Rock. You're listening to The Bear on a Thursday night. It's the Dr. Squeeze Show. That was Catatonia and Don't Need the Sunshine, uh, something which I think is a first play here on The Bear. I can't imagine anyone else has played it yet. A fantastic tune, though, by a fantastic band. Now, I'm joined by Nicola Manady, my woman, the creaky son. Please welcome Nicola. Hello, but I've already been talking. You can't welcome someone that you've already been talking to. Yeah, but I forgot to see the milady shtick. Ah, hello. <laughs> just poop yourself by that look in your face. Hey? Did you just poop yourself with that look in yeah, your face? Yeah, that's what I did. I yeah. did. Yeah, I thought and that was... I was just going to smear it all over your chest. And just hit the microphone. Yeah, and do that as well. Honestly. <laughs> um, yeah, we had a little bit of spillage there just before the end of that track. <laughs> so I'm just trying to... That's even worse <laughs> now. I meant of a drink. I meant of a drink. <laughs> So, uh, anyway, that's by the by. Guys, we're going to talk a bit of Marvel now. So, uh, we not only watched the end of Loki, which we were going to talk about last week, but we ran out of time for, but we also watched um, Black Widow. So, um, you know, actually something which I did want to quickly mention is that uh, here in the UK, here in England at least anyway, we are out of uh, lockdown for the most part. I know that's got some uh, different feelings from different people. So some people are very excited. Some people are a bit worried. That's all okay. But um, when it came to going to the cinema... Nicole and I wanted one more trip to the cinema while it was a bit less crowded, yeah? Yeah. Well, we wore masks and didn't sit near anyone. Yeah. So um, that was a pretty good time for us, and we, we did that for Black Widow. But let's talk about uh, Loki first, because okay. we already talked about the earlier episodes in the series, uh, you know, the first two Are episodes. You spoiler alert, so you're doing spoilers. Warning spoiler alerts, because we're doing spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. In spoilers, in spoilers, we're going to be talking about uh, Black Widow and Loki in spoilers, in spoilers. That sounds a bit rude, in the spoilers. <laughs> Are you just going to find everything rude? I do anyway. You should name it by now. True enough, true enough. 
so anyway, we're going to be talking about um, yeah Loki to begin with. So um, after we last talked about it, uh, we'd had uh, Owen Wilson uh, meeting up with Loki, Owen Wilson basically being the handler of uh, variant Lokis, and we got this idea of the TVA uh, time agency, and then it all just kicks off the chain. So then we find out that the TVA are all clones. We uh, find loads of different variant versions of Loki. So you get the Richard E. Grant Loki, of course, fantastic. You get Lizard Loki, you get Child Loki. It is so wonderful. You get Black Loki, you get a bit of every every kind of Loki you can get. And I love Richard E. Grant as old Loki. I do. And of course, you've got female Loki as well. But uh, God, Nicola, how did you find the mainstay of this series? Yeah, really good. I mean, I, I think my favourite character is Morbius. I love Morbius, Owen Wilson. But actually, thinking about Richard E. Grant, there was a fabulous thing on Twitter, and I'm not going to... I'm obviously not going to quote it word for word as he has, but it made me laugh, because obviously he's done a lot of theatre. And in his theatre days, his father said, oh, do you want to, you know, do you want to spend the whole of your life in tights and makeup?" And he said, oh, if he was here now, he'd be chuckling at this. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely wonderful, and uh, the way they've they've dealt with Loki. We talked about this a bit, bit last time. The idea that uh, he had the potential for doing other things, mm. and you know, it just uh, was he always going to be this trickster guy, or was there anything deeper to him? I absolutely loved this uh, in the show. I I thought the episode where they didn't have Loki and female Loki, and they were trapped on that train. Given that we've got six episodes, did feel like a very kind of long episode, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think there might have been some things to do with uh, COVID, which were playing their part there. Maybe it was yeah. an easier shoot to do where you've just got two people on the train, but uh, it felt like an extravagant use of their time. Uh, what did you feel uh, about female Loki anyway, Nicola? Yeah, I mean, uh, so let's, should we call her Sylvie rather than female Loki? Female Loki. <laughs> <laughs> Lady Loki. So, yeah, I mean, when I first, I'll be honest with you, and it is all personal when I say things, um, I thought that she looked, I, I don't know, I didn't, wasn't feeling it to start with because I thought kind of, she kind of like like a dress, dressed up soccer mum and I really apologise for saying that. Um, That's okay to have a feeling about a, an individual woman. You're not saying women are in soccer mums. I'm like, sorry, not sorry, but <laughs> I'm like, I'm really sorry. Um, no, yeah, it just, she looked like she dressed up for, you know, Halloween costume. I wasn't really feeling a female Loki from her but then I kind of think well actually the idea I suppose is that they all have their different personalities so they can't all be the same or we'd be just like oh they're just exactly the same which is what I've had complaints with other films with like where they've had mirrored people and I've gone oh that's just well I guess the thing was with Loki the difficult thing is it's how much you're saying is inertly Loki and she was basically she was raised on the run yeah. So she wasn't raised by her the family that Loki usually has, yeah. has, which would be a huge change to her personality, for better or worse. It doesn't mean that it's the fault of the family, but basically he was jealous because of his brother and lots of other factors which happened to him, as opposed to just being inert to him. Mm. So where she was basically, yeah, raised on the run, I mean, it was so mean what the TVA did to her. That's yeah. real mean yeah. to her. It's like, oh, she's yeah. a kid. She does something which isn't meant to be in a timeline, so she just gets pruned. That That's harsh as hell. Yeah. Absolutely. I think it was the alligator or crocodile that taught me that actually all the Lokis are a bit different. What, what about it? 
Oh, he's just so cute. I love him. And I love him when he was like, he, he when he went into the fight, my favourite bit is when he went into the fight, and this reminds me of what Benny would be like, and he bit some guy's hand, <laughs> and then he ran over to another Loki and cuddled up to him. <laughs> and that's exactly what Benny would do. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, the whole idea, when you get to Loki trying to take on timekeepers and then finding out they're just nothing... It, I, I think we really are setting up um, one way or the other, certainly for the um, ultimate, you know, next phase of, yeah. of Marvel. So I think you get loads of movies where you have some wacky multiverse stuff leading to a form multiverse of madness as a kind of yeah. like huge thing. I think like the, the person they've just uh, introduced as well and the bad guy as well. Well, actually, I was really worried when the Also Loki started. I think my comment was, when he got changed, I was like, he's not just going to be a Loki in a nanorack, is he? I think that was my comment. Yeah. And um, he's actually not. I actually really did like it. And it was my... Um, I just loved the show. It was such a good show. And like you said, I mean, they've got season f- season two now. Oh, well, well I was going to get there. But like, oh, uh, so Loki ends up... Um, yeah, they defeat... the Loki and Lady Loki defeat the Time Gods, which turn out to just be animatronics. Yeah. And then they get to step beyond, so uh, they get pruned, but they realise pruning is where you go next. Yeah. So they get to uh, meet loads of different versions of Lokis which have been pruned, and just like the world they create there, you get to see Avengers Towers in the background destroyed and other like features you recognise, yeah. which yeah. is really nice little touches. And I, I think the yeah, and, and the Lokis trying to make alliances, and then the other Lokis. <laughs> backstabbing them because they're Lokis. Yeah, so you don't know what's going to go on, are you? That's the best thing about Loki. Who knows? You just can't trust them. You don't know them. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, again, it's it's like it's a good show. I think it could have been tighter in some places. Mm. But, like, I love the whole thing in the Loki wasteland and then them finally taking Loki on and Sylvia Loki taking over the uh, big Sylvie. beastie's brain. Sylvie. Not Sylvia. Eh, close enough. Sylvie. <laughs> Sylvie Loki. Oh, later she's going to be Sue. Close enough. <laughs> SL, as I like to call her. <laughs> so it's S Y L Sylvie. Sylvie Loki. Oh, sorry. Anyway, Sylvie Loki takes over the mind of uh, this big beastie. Yeah. They end up going uh, inside the beastie's mind, and then they get to meet. Uh, so, is this? I'm trying to remember the name of this character because it's a character from the comic books, apparently. And I think is it Morbius or no Morbius? No Morbius is. Yeah. So what was the character's name? Anyway, like I've I've Kang. That was it, I think. Kang. And this is a character from the comic books, which is great, and I love that, and I love when uh, they introduce stuff from the comics. But what they usually do is they have the main characters who are meant to be our heroes meeting them before the last episode. And what it ends up being is just like half an hour of exposition, mainly from this guy, just explaining who he is. Yeah. And like, I love the way you described it, because we were talking about the other shows and how we had uh, uh, WandaVision and you had um, Agatha being the bad guy. And yeah. you go, oh, my God, she was there all that time. And then suddenly she sings a song. So you were saying when we talked about this guy. I can't remember. What was I saying? I'm sorry. It was that guy all along. <laughs> Oh, okay. I also said he was like the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> yeah. But I thought he was a a great idea for a character, but why introduce him right in the last 
half an hour, I think, of the show. It didn't even last half an hour, him, but it was him just firing his position at the screen, saying, look, if you kill me, there's loads of other versions of me. Those other versions of me are bad. I'm good. I'm kind of keeping the shit together, but you don't want to trust those versions. And it was just, it was, you need to introduce him earlier so we could see him, even if the... Um, even if the Lokis can see him or the time agents maybe have a post episode thing every episode much like they did with Thanos when they were introducing him I think what what you're referring to or what you're looking for and what most people look for at the end of a show is a plot twist and you want to like you say with Agatha where we all went wow it was Agatha and I suppose like you say if you'd had him all the way through we'd go ah it was you and that's kind of what you think because I would have thought that as well that you'd get someone like I don't anyone that you've seen before and go ah I didn't realize that but we weren't given that it was like I don't know you and and the fact is you can't for me personally to be actual sad about someone leaving a show I have to meet them first and get to know them this is the thing it's uh it's what I usually praise Marvel for and don't like DC for because DC have done an awful job of just cramming new characters in basically them saying to you it's like well you know who this character is already you know who Cyborg is from the comics you know who uh, Superman is and it's like well actually not everyone knows who Cyborg is and you're introducing these characters for the first time you don't have to tell the whole backstory but you do have to introduce them to us mm. and if you cram them all in just go ah well look we haven't established that Lois Lane would do anything for Superman we'll just have her doing everything for him and you'll know from the comics that's yeah. who she's meant to be it doesn't feel like they earn it and here is the, one of the first times when I felt that Marvel didn't earn it they've just gone oh well here's this guy you know him from the comics and it's like yeah. I, I actually don't I'm sorry look I, I really wish I was better versed in comics but and I love the idea of this character you just have to establish him first even if I know a character I want to see it established in a show before they just go oh, well, we'll just trust you note from the other properties. That's it. So if you'd had, like, Morbius in the chair, you would have gone, oh, and I think the thing is... Oh, or Kang being one of the other time agents until now. Yeah, and then we... Or any of the... Like, say, any of the time agents, like, coming out and going, ah, it was me. But I think as well... All along. Yeah, it was me all along. Um, But you've got to... I really hate it when shows do that, when they give you such a short time and expect you to grow to love to someone in that amount of time and then go oh no and you just yeah yeah and feeling the stakes of his death he's described what the stakes are as opposed to us feeling those stakes throughout the other episodes it just didn't mean as much i don't get me wrong look at the end of this uh, as uh, nicholas alluded to there you do get a a tb continued in season two uh very much looking forward to that i still think it's a, a wonderfully interesting show just uh, introducing that character who I think is going to have a big part in the moves going forward. That's a pretty shitty way of introducing someone who you're now going to go, this is everything in the next phase, which it looks like that's what they're relying on for Spider-Man uh, with all the Spider-Man and uh, with uh, Multiverse of Madness and the different uh, yeah, different characters they bring in. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I don't want it to go around because Loki's my... I mean, I loved WandaVision. I thought that was great. Um the oh gosh i can't remember the other one what we watched uh the oh it's eluded me now the um falcon the winter soldier oh, i can't remember the name um that was probably if i was just going to take the three i would say that's probably my least favorite but i still liked it yeah one division i love but loki took it a little bit and i just really love loki 
I could have loved it more than One Division, but I didn't. Just in the execution, all the ideas were there. So they need to play around with a bit for series two, and I really hope they do. And, and I hope that we see a couple more films sort of pre the vault, the mad multiverse, and then we get Loki season two leading into the real wacky shit that we see next. That'd be great. But guys, oh sorry, just one thing as well. Um, Tom Hiddleston. Now I've watched him in other things, lot a few different things, and I haven't really loved him as an actor, and that's again personal. But I just love him as Loki. I think yeah. he's great. Yeah, you were talking about this last episode. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And for me, it's the most fun he's had in this character, as I also think I said last episode. But guys, look, we're going to listen to a couple of tracks, then we're going to come back talking about um, Black Widow, which we saw this week. was Tom Jones and the Cardigans and Burning Down the House. So uh, we may have been having some technical issues during that last link. We're not sure if you heard us. Uh, hopefully you did. We were breaking down, of course, Loki from Disney Plus. And uh, hopefully you heard that. Otherwise, uh, you've just been hearing silence for the last 10 or so minutes. And it was such a good conversation. I, I hope it did pick up. Genuinely, we had a really good time talking about Loki. Uh, I went to hit the talk button to stop talking when we were going to the last song yeah. and it wasn't on so I don't know if I've accidentally pressed it at some point or maybe got part of that I don't know guys yeah. look I'm very sorry if you missed that but we are going to call that our Loki review because that's the second time we've tried to do it because last week we ran out of time and yeah. if it's not on the podcast we will, we will record a conversation about it yeah maybe that's our cult so it's the cult of Loki where the first rule is you don't get to listen to it <laughs> yeah we talk about Loki you just don't get to listen you to know. us talking about Loki yeah. first rule um, yeah, sure. Yeah, so we might record that for the podcast if you didn't catch that. Anyway, look, guys, we're going to talk about Black Widow now. Amazing new uh, film from Marvel. Uh, the worry with this one going in for me, certainly, was that we've always moved forwards with the Marvel movies. They've always taken us to a new place, always built towards the new uh, drum which is coming, like with uh, the Avengers movies with Thanos. He was always there in the background. and Well, in the first phase, it was Nick Fury at the end of all the independent films or individual films, I should say, not independent movies. They were quite uh, big budget uh, movies. Yeah. But the individual films, uh, Nick Fury would um, pop up in the build-up to Avengers. So they've always built up to something larger. And with... Um, what was I going with this? Oh, yeah, with uh, Black, Black Widow, of course. The worry is, because she's already dead, and we know she's dead, telling her backstory, how is that going to lead forward? But it kind of did, in a way. But um, it was a nice standalone story as well. Uh what did you think of Nicola? Well, first of all, I just, when you said Nick Fury keeps popping up, it just made me laugh because I see this little Nick Fury going, hello, from the corner of the screen. I'm a Fury and yeah. Nicky Fury. Yeah. Just like popping up, really funny. Um, no, yeah, I actually really liked it. I, 
I was unsure and then as soon as they played the Nirvana track which is awesome I thought they had me sold because yeah and and actually just talking a bit differently the soundtrack's really good for that film yeah it's worth saying we're going to do mild spoilers but um yeah uh, the way they do it is they have a scene of young um young black widow yeah uh, natasha yeah and her family or as she's always been led to believe her, her family but it's all the front and they're all acting you know because they're undercover russian agents mm-hmm. And then that gets destroyed because they're recalled home. So they yeah. all go and their family get torn apart and she gets torn from her sister. Really great scene. And then during the uh, Nirvana song, they've got a um, new version of it. So clever. Yeah, so cleverly done. But they show her aging and show all the events which lead to where we find the character mm-hmm. later before the last Avengers movies when she's on the run after um, the events of Civil War. Yeah. I mean, there are. I mean, I know we haven't got too long to talk about this one, so it was really good. There are parts of it which are quite funny. So some of it was like, I don't know. There was a few things where maybe jump. I won't say too much, but jumping out of buildings, and you particularly pointed this one out where they would like fall against a brick wall, down, 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 and then stand up and be absolutely. Yeah, fine. I mean, my thing with that is that uh, I watched and very much enjoyed my first uh, trip back to the cinema after mm-hmm. lockdown was or well it was during the last days of lockdown so restrictions were lifted enough for cinemas to be open and onwards to and we watched the latest fast and furious movie those movies are batshit crazy they're all about being people doing uh, impossible stunts their bodies would definitely not survive that's what it's meant to be marvel movies as incredible and fantastic a world as they exist in two things if someone is able to survive uh, superhuman things they are superhuman they've got special yeah. abilities if they're uh, someone like um, Hawkeye, fires arrow with much precision, gets beaten up, but it's always kind of like on the outskirts of believable that the human body could take that much punishment. Like it would be severe, but it's kind of technically possible humans survive. But he has superhuman reactions, even though he's not superhuman. But when it comes to actual damage, they get real damage. Yeah. With this one, uh, yeah, there were a few times she was just get, she was dropping from the top of a building, bashing against flagpoles and all sorts of shit, and she lands just absolutely fine. And it's like like the other girl. There's another girl that does a similar thing, and she's led on her back, uh, dying, and yet she's just stood up like ah. <laughs> yeah, for me, it's uh, again, it's that sort of thing whereby like there's another bit where she falls through a helicopter, drops through it as it's flying past because she's free falling down the, through the sky goes through the helicopter and comes out the other side with a a parachute on her back. Now that is ridiculous, but it's not like if a human, I suppose, had the exact time that might be technically possible. It's not very likely, but it might be technically possible. Someone hitting a 30-story building, every bump on the way down and then landing, they're not going to be okay. Obviously, we're not going to test the uh, falling through an airplane scenario just to see if it is humanly possible. I'm not doing that. No, I wasn't suggesting it as I a as a thing. Grumpy to do that. <laughs> I mean, that's just general on an average day. You're hot and you're grumpy. Yeah. Um, also, I was just going to say there was a f- there was some really good things because obviously her sister's in it, and there was some brilliant funny moments where her sister's doing a Mickey take out of some of the poses. Yes. That Natasha does, which is brilliant. Yeah. So when you land, 
how a helicopter and you land on the ground why do you do this kind of stretchy leg stretchy arm thing like you're yeah. posing that's just embarrassing isn't it <laughs> it's so brilliantly and she done she tries it and she's like oh no I don't like this <laughs> yeah and I love the fact that they have uh, their fake parents they still remember everything fondly from the yeah. mission when they were kids so the idea is obviously as soon as the uh, cover is finished mm. you forget everything but they all still care and it's really nicely done it speaks a lot to me about found family because you do get these found families they may not be your blood relatives but they mean just as much to people and I think that's wonderful I think that's what this movie really celebrates yeah. for me you've got things like um, yeah Rachel Weiss is amazing oh, she, she always is she looks beautiful she is beautiful she looks beautiful never ages uh, but yeah she, she pops up in this one uh, the Baddie, I'd say, is, again, probably the weakest point in this one. We were talking about, for anyone, well, possibly everyone who didn't hear us talking about uh, Loki, the baddie was kind of tacked on at the end, it felt like, with Loki, and it felt a bit the same to me. That you've got this kind of, like, Ren Winston plays this character who's all throughout the movie, so he's the really, really obvious choice to be the main baddie, and he kind of is. Yeah, Yeah. but he he does this really awful Russian accent, or something to my ears, I don't know what a Russian accent should probably sound like, but he doesn't. His Ray Winston-osity breaks through a bit. But, um, yeah, and then they've got Taskmaster, who's... Well, I won't spoil who Taskmaster is, but it's meant to be this kind of superhuman assassin who mimics everything... And I understand this one's from the comic books as well. It's kind of a wasted character in the way they've used it. Because apparently this kind of mimic uh, Taskmaster character is meant to be the big bad and gets kind of just used as a secondary villain this. Well, there was a couple of things, actually, just talking about that the Taskmaster. I actually kept thinking when he came out, I don't know if everybody's watched Jason X, but I kept mm-hmm. thinking that he was like a, a pimped up Skeletor yeah this friday the 13th uh, in space basically yeah i i know most people's film they hate of the jason franchise but i really like it um so he does look like a pimped up jason x or skeletal which is great um but as for ray winston um i love ray winston i love him as an actor he's amazing um the only thing is is i don't know i i he, he sounded like you say the Russian accent sometimes I felt like he sounded like a bit like an Italian sort of mobster as well and then I was struggling because all I could hear in my head was his London you know really strong London accent and I was really struggling to feel that but um I, part of me don't care because I love Ray Winston oh, Ray Winston is amazing I just I didn't think this was necessarily the character of him I do love the fact that the whole thing they're fighting against is this serum which makes uh people obedient and makes women it's used against makes them docile so there is a wonderful kind of story about uh sort of along the lines of handmaid's tale in a bizarre way about women kind of finding empowerment in a really cool way in a way which doesn't feel like it's hitting you over the head should i tell you really just a really random fact very quickly that ray winston's got a replica stonehenge in his back garden of course he has because yeah. uh, <laughs> that need to be <laughs> Uh, there is a wonderful plot to this movie it's really good we really enjoyed it um it's a lovely little um right at the end in the post credit scene it ties it into something we won't say what but it ties it back to the yes. mcu going forward do stay to the end yeah. do stay to the end yeah uh, as the nice lady in the cinema told us um but anyway <laughs> like, we won't go into that watched mar- bless her she was lovely she was like make sure you stay to the end there's a credit at the end and we were like yeah, it's not our first rodeo, but we were being nice and going, oh, really? Yeah, of course. Oh, really? On a Marvel movie? <laughs> we will stay to the end then. Just because you said so. 
but just it does tie back into the um, uh, the MCU. And also, I want to say the woman who plays uh, Black Widow's sister. Mm. Sorry, I should have looked up the actress's name, but she was in uh, the film Fighting with My Family mm. with Nick Frost. She was wonderful in that, and uh, I love the fact that um, not that she isn't a lovely looking young lady, but I love the fact that she uh, played in this, or, or the idea of the reason why she got this movie was probably through Fighting with My Family, which shows her as a kick-ass fighter. She plays this uh, this wrestler who. I told you this the other day. Why are you I looking know, surprised, Nicola? I didn't put two and two together. Eric, she plays a, she plays a kick-ass wrestler, who um, yeah, uh, who through love of WWE becomes a member of the uh, WWE roster. The Rock helps her out on the way. I don't know if that happened in the real life story, story which is this is based on, but in the fel- film, um, The Rock helps her. Absolutely wonderful film. But she is so kick-ass in that, and that's how I think she gets to this film. Not through having supermodel looks, again, even though she's a lovely young lady. It's through what she can do. And this really felt like a tougher action movie for someone like that who just has the moves naturally. Anyway, it was wonderful. Look, uh, we're going to hand over in a minute. Thank you very much, Nicola, by the way, for joining us. Don't knock my drink over, or I'm not coming back again. Thank you. Uh, we're going to hear a couple more tunes and then we're going to go into my interview with Johnny Sweet who is the documentary director the Emmy award winning documentary director I should say behind Last Calls The Shutdown of New York City Bars excuse me sorry I think I'm I'm actually starting to lose my my voice now we're going to play a couple of booze themed tunes to go into Last Call given the subject of the documentary so this is uh, Alcohol by the Bare Naked Ladies our second play of the Bare Naked Ladies tonight followed by Closing Time by Semisonic you listen to the bear this is the Dr. Squee show on a Thursday night enjoy this this uh, next guest i'm actually going to speak a bit about my personal experience of lockdown and how it all began with the covid uh the covid virus when it all began i i can't remember when exactly i heard the news and had it being first uttered on the news about this kind of like strange thing which is happening far off from the world and never was going to affect us but i was working in southampton city council at the time and one day they said to us it's like right okay we've already been working on ways of people working from home a bit more we're going to test everyone working from home on this Monday and like see how it does. And uh, we were all like, yeah, okay, sure. You know, like this is ever gonna be a thing. Obviously very, very much contingency planning. Within a week, we were all working from home. And uh, because I then changed jobs, I never worked a uh, full week in that office again. I come, came in a couple of days to help out with some things. But I just remember this kind of on sense, uh, this sense of uh, like a, a thing which just crept up on you and suddenly became very real. And I say all this because uh, the documentary we're here to talk about tonight, really recaptures that feeling for me. Uh, now it's um, Last Call, the shutdown of New York City bars. And is it? And it is, as the name would suggest, about uh, the shutdown of New York City bars. However, 
given that it talks about those uh, moments during the COVID crisis where we all felt, uh, I think this is a wonderful thing that you're going to enjoy. And uh, even though it's kind of specifically about one thing, it could be generally applied to all of us and our experiences of the COVID, um, the COVID situation, whatever you like to call it. Anyway, look, I've rambled for enough now. Let's welcome on the director and producer of this film, Johnny Sweet. How are you doing today, sir? Hey, Doc. Uh, thanks for having me, and I, I really appreciate your Star Trek memorabilia behind you. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I've got a bit of geekery in, in the background there. I was just going to say The Wrath of Khan is one of my favorite movies ever, so, uh, you know, I, I appreciate it. In a very weird way, that actually links into the beginning of lockdown for me as well, because the last thing we did days before they shut everything down and no shows would happen again, we saw William Shatner introducing the Wrath of Khan in London. Every other day after it got cancelled, he was even very cockily in his uh, speech at the beginning saying, it's like, do you know what? Look, I know we're all worried about this virus and everything, but I've never had to cancel a show before. I never get ill. Everything will be fine. Two days later, everything got shut down. Uh, well, that's a hell of a segue. <laughs> Not even Shatner could stop this virus. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, as I say, I really love the hell out of this documentary. Thank you very much for sharing it with me uh, prior to this interview. Um, first of all, let's start with this. How are you doing this far into the pandemic yourself? How are you? Uh, I'm doing. I'm doing just fine. Uh, I've been lucky in the, in that sense. Uh, you know, uh, didn't. Uh, didn't contract the virus. None of my family, close family members did. We were able to stay safe and in that way. Uh, working through it was uh, challenging and a little scary at times because we were outside in, you know, kind of breaking bad looking outfits filming. Um, but as long as, uh, you know, as long as my wife was uh, safe and protected, uh, my family members were and our interview subjects were, that's really all that mattered to us, so. Of course, I mean, that's something which I want to start with. What I loved about the way this documentary gets you into it, even before we start talking about the subject through the documentary, uh, the setup is that uh, you're filming everything remotely, that's put right in there on Front Street on the uh, documentary, and you showed the remote ways in which you uh, had the studio all kitted out, no one's in there apart from the interview subject, and the cameras are operated remotely. How was it setting that up? Were you uh, geared for that? Did you know how, how to do all that uh, going in, or was there a lot of learning on the job with that? Uh, that is the genius of Brian Brousseau and HSC uh, TV, their production company. They designed all that. That's all one million percent uh, credit to them. Uh, you know, I had a relationship with them dating back to my days at ESPN and also the the Ron Artest film for Showtime. So I knew what they were capable of and they're capable of extraordinary things and they were able to design that setup and keep our interview subjects safe. And that's fantastic. And uh, just what, what was the first thing which made you think that you want to handle the uh, the pandemic at all? Like, you know, you've, you've got him right at the beginning here. There must've been some sort of spark right from early on. And why through the lens of the New York City uh, bar shutdown? Well, it was local for me. It was right outside our door. Uh, you know, ambulances were flying by our apartment basically every five to 10 minutes. We're right near the two hospitals that got hit the hardest, uh, you know, arguably in the country. So it was right in front of us. I also, the, the industry I thought of outside of my own 
right when this all started was the hospitality industry because I worked at a bar for four years in college and some of my best friends in the world are from, are still, you know, from those days at Conrad's up at Syracuse. So I just imagined, you know, thousands of those small, you know, bar-like communities just all being, you know, basically they're all laid off on the same day. And I thought it was important that they had a voice and we were lucky enough to find Jenna, who was, uh, who we felt was a very strong voice to, you know, and also her, obviously her uh, co-workers and friends who could describe what it was like for, you know, this industry at, you know, in real time, uh, what we were going through. Yeah, uh, Jenna uh, Ellenwood, I believe it is, uh, from your documentary. And uh, one of the places we kind of center around quite a lot is Sparrow's Tavern in the documentary. Uh, I just love the fact that, and again, you introduced the kind of feeling of this. Uh, I love the fact that they all at once, uh, like in their separate interviews, said, uh, look, I don't want to say it's like cheers, but it's like cheers. You know, and everyone went straight to that metaphor, which again, you hate my sweet spot because I grew up with that show and that's my favorite sitcom of all time. But I think everyone can relate to uh, Jenna and to what it's like to have that local tavern such as uh, Sparrow's Tavern. I grew up in a small uh, town called Romsey just down the road uh, from Southampton where I am now. And just in, in any town, in any city, in any village, there is that place. Um, why did Sparrow's particularly uh, appeal to you and why? how did you find Jenna? I found Jenna through a mutual friend of mine from my, my hole in the wall bar in Brooklyn. Uh, our friend Kate McMurdo, who I knew through my friends at this small establishment, local bar called Angry Wades in Brooklyn on Smith Street. Um, you know, Kate is a good friend of mine. And when I was, you know, telling her the kind of film that we were trying to potentially do, she said, I know someone perfectly for that. And that's how, uh, you know, she put me in contact with Jenna. And then, you know, Jenna and I had a safe outdoor freezing meeting in Astoria Park by the East River. Uh, you know, I told her I was 100% transparent with her. I said, this is what we're gonna try and do. And, uh, you know, take it, you know, think it over for a little bit to see if you're comfortable and uh, let us know how you feel. And uh, she felt comfortable with us right away. And that, you know, the, the story arc, you know, grew from there. And uh, did she help you kind of uh, link up with the other bars? Because I know kind of uh, a lot of these bars, as much as they're in competition, there's a sort of like uh, a sibling rivalry between them sometimes. Uh, she did. Uh, she could not have been more of an amazing, not only interview subject, but teammate for the film. Uh, you know, her coworkers and then her former coworker, who she's still close with, uh, Nick, who runs Diamond Dogs. Uh, and, I, you know, and... Uh, another character, Willie, worked at Diamond Dog. So they were kind of like sister bars uh, in a way, or brother bars. I don't know what the actual uh, correct terminology would be for there. I'm probably messing that up. Sorry, Jenna. Um, well, they're sibling. Sibling yeah, bars. Uh, yeah. There is, a, there is an alcohol relation business-wise between the two of them because um, Nick used to work there. So, uh, yeah, that's how the, the domino effect really started with Jenna. Uh, and then... Um, as far as the frontline workers, uh, the hospital staff, that uh, a good friend of mine named Amy Dash, who is a radio reporter in New York City, uh, put me in contact with people that she knew. And that's, you know, a million percent credit to her 
for building that bridge. So that's how we were able to do that. And then my wife, who is a professor at Stony Brook, is, you know, is very highly knowledgeable in the mental health arena. That's her specialty. So yeah. she found, uh, you know, our social worker, Gail, who is in this. Uh, so really it was these, these people all built the bridges that helped create this story arc. I tell you, I mean, it's really hard to, it's like when you talk about 9-11 and firefighters, it's hard not to have an emotional sting. The second you talk about any of the medical first responders to the COVID crisis, um, I, I sort of like that. I'm sure there's a question in here, but I'm going to say as a statement and then do with it what you will. It is amazing to me that these people who are working um, more hours than they're on the day, it feels like, working on the uh, pandemic crisis, then are so giving of their time for a documentary such as this. And I'm so thankful they were because their stories need to be told. Um, what's it like working with those people at such a time? They were poised. They were, uh, you could tell they were still running on kind of tunnel vision when they were you know, mm -hmm. talking to us. They were clearly in rhythm to the task at hand of what they were doing. That's the sense that I got from them. You know, just very strong backbone, people that uh, thank God they were those were the kinds of individuals who were out there day in and day out trying to you know bend the curve of, of New York City and it's, it's a credit to them and their their diligence and uh, something I've sort of touched upon before was there an awareness to you that this story was going to chime with so many others he, again like you're, you're talking about the bars in New York City this could have been the office workers of Southampton England as far as I'm concerned this could have related to so many people yeah, uh, I'd say we were trying to make a film that anybody who has ever either worked at a bar, a restaurant, the hospitality industry, or owns a small business, works at a small business, there's millions of employees and, you know, and people like that around the world who identify with that either now or in a certain moment in their lifetime. So we felt that we had a wide net of who we could touch with, uh, with this story arc. No, it's beautiful. And uh, did you always have the structure in place, the idea of the structure, how it ended up? Because it felt like really, and, and I genuinely, I, um, I'm i sort of glad I watched it on a good day is what I'll say. It's like, not that it, it's not a wonderful and very warm documentary, but because it took me through the stages of the pandemic myself, like one minute we're going through uh, what it's like to suddenly have this thing happen to you, like I was describing me in that office. Uh, then you've got the kind of reality setting in, then you've got the worry for your friends and family, you've got the lockdown projects. It all seemed to follow those same stages we all went through um, during the pandemic and lockdown. Uh, I mean, we didn't, I usually don't do what you would call a preset story arc plan. I try not to box myself in journalistically. Uh, you know, I knew I wanted to introduce these, you know, these cast of characters as the kind of family that they are. I wanted people to get to know them before we entered into, you know, what we all entered into. Uh, other than that, it was really all about reading and reacting to situations and seeing how it flowed within uh, the telling, the telling of the story. So uh, as long as we were journalistically 100% uh, intact, that's really, you know, and our loyalty to the story being 100%, that's really all that mattered to us. I mean, I think it's a wonder when any documentary filmmaker uh, touching on a kind of sensitive subject uh, doesn't get pulled into it, 
but you're literally experiencing it at the same time. You know, you might not be owning a bar, but you know, you're experiencing the same kind of conditions. Everyone is experiencing the same fear. How's that to go into work every day and do that when you're kind of experiencing the fears first person and third person and being able to, to detach yourself? Uh, I felt comfortable most of the time because Jenna was very diligent in you know, basically disinfecting her apartment all the time when I went over there with my, you know, with my equipment. And then also we would, if it was above 40 degrees, we would shoot upstairs on the roof, which we knew outdoors at that time was technically safer, uh, you know, to be, uh, to be around people a little more. So I felt okay there. Filming outside Elmhurst was a little stressful but, uh, you know, I, my background is a high stress background in terms of, you know, we work in uh, sports and rap music and those are, those are high stressful times. So I was kind of already used to filming in high stressful areas. You know, I'm not comparing the Super Bowl to dealing with COVID. That's obviously not a, a, a genuine comparison at all. But in terms of dealing with stress on the, on the job, uh, you know, we were all pretty trained in that lane. So I, th I think we were all right. But definitely filming outside the hospital during the peak. I, you know, I had a long range lens on and again, a Breaking Bad outfit on at the same time with like multiple rubber gloves on. I could barely hit record. But uh, that would be the only that and hearing the sirens constantly all the time was definitely uh, anxiety uh, ridden. The, the sound of the sirens, I would say, was uh was probably the most stressful part because you're hearing it all the time and the second i would walk outdoors just honestly to film in the neighborhood i didn't really have to chase ambulances they were like uh, they were every block you know so those uh, yeah those are probably the most stressful moments now i'm gonna do an awful job because i'm rubbish with names i'll be honest with you but uh we were talking about the lockdown project and one of my favorites was the uh, rap artist who also worked in the bar it was absolutely amazing Oh, Willie? Yeah, he's the X Factor. <laughs> yeah, we, we need more. We need him more. I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna point out the one flaw in this documentary. It's the only one. We need him more rap music. And like, considering he's right there, you could have put a couple of tunes in there. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but then you know, to those who know the industry, there's this thing called music licensing, and uh, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, our budgets were obviously annihilated during the, you know, during this time period. So we had to work with what we had. Uh, but As he was subject, great. though. He wasn't going to give you mates rates. Come on. <laughs> uh, no, he he gave. We had permission to use the the clips, uh, you know, and the music that was in there. So we we yeah. took. We were we were you know we 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 did okay by him there. Um, but in terms of like his whole album and playing his whole album and stuff like that, we just you know we didn't want to use it for free. That would have been uh, you know insulting to him. And, uh, you know, and we didn't have the budget to license the whole album, you know, the two albums that he made, but we're glad we were there. You know, we're glad we were around when he was making them. <laughs> so. <laughs> I mean, that's one of my favorite things. Sorry, obviously I, I am joking. Of course I do understand all that. Uh, but I think one of my favorite parts of the lockdown, you know, obviously there was a lot of things not to like about the lockdown and about this whole situation, but it was all the artistic projects which came out of it. You're there as a documentarian, which of course this artistic project, and you get all these people who suddenly their creativity is coming out when um, as much as they might miss their work and love their work, those things came to the fore. So like uh, you had Jenna doing that uh, wonderful cocktail uh, YouTube uh, channel. Uh, so can you talk a bit, a bit more about those projects as well? 
Yeah, I mean, they had these, you know, everybody had time to do something. And if you don't use that time, uh, you know, creatively, you know, you start feeling bad that you wasted that time, but also at the same time, people are dying around you while you're trying to utilize this time. So it was really like this dual, some, you know, dual symbolism that, that played with, you know, Jenna and Willie's emotions because, you know, they're, they're trying to use this time to pursue their, you know, the arts that they're invested in when usually they didn't have the time to do that because, you know, they had to, you know, they had to work their jobs. Um, so it was an, it was interesting to see her go, see them both go gung ho and use, use this time period to have what Willie called, uh, which I thought was a great point. He said he called it an art attack, not a heart attack, but an art attack. And you just had to get these artistic expressions out of your system and, and to feel that sense of creative accomplishment in order to stay sane during this period of isolation. And I noticed that a lot of the um, footage which you use, you do kind of give a timeline later on the film of what happened next, but uh, a lot of it's from earlier on in the pandemic. Again, was that kind of a, uh, a personal choice or was that just, you know, you're set to film for this many days, so then we'll kind of like capture up the rest of the story in um, in a kind of like a clip sort of uh, basis? Uh, some of it was, uh, you know, news footage that we licensed. Uh, some of it was, you know, New Rochelle isn't that far from us. So that was just a matter of driving up there 20 minutes. And, you know, that was the other thing. The streets were empty. So we could drive all around New York in with no traffic. It was as if someone licensed the entire city to shut it down to shoot a car commercial in all five boroughs it was insane you could drive around almost all over the city and there's just no traffic so we were able to get to certain spots pretty quickly in order to film certain areas that pertain to you know the timeline so that's an example of you know it's being easy to just fly right up to new rochelle and uh, film outside of young israel and the purple ribbons that's that are still there today actually but I th I've, I, what I was trying to get at was that in the uh, mainstay of the film, it's set around those kind of earlier months of the pandemic. Was that kind mm -hmm. of something you always hand in mind to do? Well, we started in March. So, you know, we were, mm -hmm. that was, that was the real aggressive rise of the epicenter. So, I mean, we started at that time. So the, the, the only thing we could do was follow along with, you know, what was happening. Yeah. And uh, the thing I particularly loved about this documentary, but it seems like a, a choice, is to go, I mean, obviously it was always gonna be mainly through the eyes of the people affected and the kind of like individual stories, but you seem to kind of throw in clips of the politics, but not go into that. Um, why did you make that choice not to kind of go down that route as well? Uh, because we're making a sequel that deals with that. So. <laughs> That's, uh, that's did part you of the reason. Now? <laughs> I, I, didn't, I don't mean to, but yes, we are working no, on a no, sequel. No. We're working on a sequel that deals with the state politics that were part of the reason why, you know, every this industry was unfairly treated. So, you know, the, the industry that sacrificed the most uh, outside of the hot, you know, the, the frontline hospital workers were not given a lane to help build their lives back up at all by the state and there will be we will obviously you know we in the next film we speak with politicians or other bar owners and also 
uh, hospitality groups that have been formed in response to themselves not being protected during that time period. And you'll, you know, we will hopefully try and effectively show that the, you know, the cause and effect of politics on the industry. Well, that's amazing. And I completely respect the decision to sort of separate those two off because they do seem like, uh, I feel like if you hadn't had any clips of politicians talking, it would seem amiss. But you kind of covered it enough to while keeping to the, um, so it felt like the remit of this story was to talk to those people in the bars. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. We, wanted, we wanted to make sure the focus of this film was the humanizing focus with this group. Uh, if we had started going off in other tangents with, uh, you know, the politics that were going on in real time, I thought that might distract and make this more of like a Wikipedia kind of film, which we always try to avoid. So, but there is definitely a very important, strong story there to tell. And that's what we are uh, working diligently on actually with the sequel. <laughs> so, oh, fantastic. Yeah. I'm glad I, I chanced upon that. Um, sorry, uh, no, I, know, I wasn't being sarcastic about the plugs. No, you're, that's a, no, that was, uh, you, no, you just, that was, uh, that was a softball pitch that you didn't even realize was a softball pitch. <laughs> you just, you got right in there, so. I like it, I like it. Uh, and I mean, there, there, it was one question which I had, and maybe you kind of addressed this more in the sequel, was how did the, they t you know, obviously the people talked in general about how they felt let down about the response, but obviously during the pandemic, we had a change of presence in the United States of America and a very vast change of direction. I don't know if people still feel kind of left in the cold or not, but um, was there a feeling... Was there any kind of feeling of politics in it for the people? Yeah, there's a very strong uh, resentment for the most part uh, with Governor uh, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. Um, it's it's there. It's very very real, very visceral, and some react in ways that are you know. I mean, I'll give you an example. There's a Staten Island bar in New York called Max Public House, and they made a lot of headwaves by creating their own autonomous zone outside their bar and refusing the closing. And it led to a confrontation with the New York City Sheriff's Department. And there was a mass protest outside of their bar by the people who, you know, that was their local spot. That was their, that was their place of escape, their extended living room. They love those guys. And there's, whether you condone what they did or not, taking away one's right to work and feed their family is going to cause people to react in different ways. And uh, that's one of the, that's one of the things that we will, you know, be addressing in, in, in the follow-up film. I mean, it, uh, it was endlessly fascinating to me as it is, the people who managed to, uh, through all of this and seeing their industry dying essentially you know and no guarantee of how it's going to survive this still putting safety first like i don't put anything against anyone who um who chooses to say that like they they feel let down that they're putting this pandemic in ahead of their business for me it's always about the safety first and to hear these people who are saying it's like no i've been given permission now to open up again i'm going to wait until it's safe um how do you not fall to pieces when you hear a story like that to be frank well, even, even worse than that is the, the rules kept changing every week when there was partial reopen, then semi-partial reopen, but then they, the state kind of made the bartenders and the bar managers COVID officers, saying like basing them, you're requiring them to test on site 
when that's not what they're, tra they're not, there's no training for that. So they're putting responsibilities that technically from a legal standpoint might not be, not, might not be, you know, okay. So, uh, you know, the expansion of bureaucracy was also a big issue. Uh, the, you know, the, the state liquor authority in New York has been a problem for a lot of these people. And yeah, it's, it's the little guy getting stepped on and they're not being bailed out by the government, such as how the banks were and the airlines and the oil industry. So, you know, when are we going to, when is it going to be time to bail out the little guys that, you know, really, especially in New York city, they're, the little guys are responsible for, especially in the, the hospitality industry, they're responsible for $46 billion worth of business in, you know, one of the greatest cities in the world. So uh, we're hoping in the future that, you know, we're hoping in the future they don't get stepped on continuously again, but they're, I mean, they're trying to fight back. They're trying to organize. It's tough because everybody is, it's an, everybody's an individual business and uniting under one umbrella is very tough to organize, especially, you know, even as a lobbying group or whatever. So we're hoping that with these films that it gets the message out, let's stop stepping on the little guys for once. Can we, yeah. you know, so. I mean, uh, yeah, it, the, the amount of parallels, again, which I drew from this documentary for my friends in the arts who have been just uh, in this country, just forgotten. Uh, they even during the pandemic started to put out uh, posters and adverts saying uh, they had a picture of a, a young girl as a ballerina. She doesn't know it yet, but her next job is as an, as an accountant. And like all these kind of better jobs, which people in the arts could stop wasting their time on this and do something bit, bit more sensible. And I just felt all those feelings about these people in these bars who just got forgotten by the, the government. Um, something which I wanted to say was a lovely touch at the end of your documentary and the perfect way to go out on it. You've just gone through this kind of heartbreaking hour worth of uh, seeing these people really struggle and the hope which they managed to pull out of it, all these other emotions. And then the end is just two women on a rooftop talking about getting laid in, in the pandemic and dating at this time. Um, genius for a start, but but how did you choose that as your uh, way to go out of the documentary? Well, I didn't know where to put it because it didn't make sense in the in like the art in the arc <laughs> of the film. So we were like, you know, we did a post credit scene in our last film that worked out well, uh, our last film for Showtime. So we were like, you know, why not do it again here? This makes sense. So we just we honestly just put it in so that uh, there's at least some sort of comedic relief or uh exhale for the audience you know to have yeah. as if they're sticking around through the credits so i, I think we needed it I, I it was a lovely documentary but we needed that at the end and it was just perfect well credit, uh, credit molly and jenna for that freestyle conversation because i don't script anything so that's all them i mean for, for a decent documentary you've got to have those real moments it just uh, completely takes me out of it when it is scripted when it is more kind of like uh we're going to go a b c when you have those real moments that's what really lifts the documentary for me so uh, i thought it was perfect uh have you checked in with jenna and uh, all the crew since yeah we've been going through the the film festival circuit and uh you know uh i see them semi consistently so you know they seem to be doing a little better. Uh, Diamond Dogs has reopened, so Nick is back in business, and he's grown his hair out real long, and you know he looks like a lost member of of, of Zeppelin. But uh, you know, 
they seem to be at least partially getting back to some sense of normalcy, which is uh, which is great to see. And uh, it's just about to hit uh, VOD, I believe. Uh, what was that? I'm sorry. Uh, the the uh, doc's just about to hit video on demand, I believe. Yes, uh, I believe August 13th is the day of our full digital on-demand release. If I have That's that wrong, fantastic. if I have that wrong, Lisa, I'm sorry. <laughs> so. uh, before we move on, just uh, uh, quickly, just your next project that you're working on at the moment. So is it just the sequel that you're going for with the uh, politicians or have you got any other things you're uh, ever working on? Well, I'm back in sports. The industry is that's been back open, so been doing a lot of work in that lane. Uh, same in the rap music lane. So I'm I'm back in those areas, but we are aggressively uh, trying to hopefully have this follow up film done uh, before winter. So that's our that's what we're aggressively pursuing right now is the follow up to Last Call. Fantastic. And I know this is completely gauche of me, but you're admiring my background. I can't help but notice your little friend, the Emmy, in the background there. Oh, that. Uh, if you look, if you are able to look closer, it's actually broken. So, uh, yeah. When you move a lot at time, you know, when you do a cross-country move twice in five years, sometimes, sometimes things break. So, but yeah, it's there. It's really heavy and the wings are sharp. So, yeah. No, but it, this it, is what it, I love it, about documentary makers. Other people would be all over that. It's like, yes, I want it for this, that, and the other. You're like, ads chipped in the move. It's very heavy. There's wings there. Well, I I'm in this business for the storytelling. If the awards come, that's great. I you know I I couldn't be you know I couldn't be happier. It's like an added bonus. But for me, it's the storytelling, uh, you know, process of why I you know I I, I try I'm going to try and stay in this field as long as I can. Of course, uh, and I, I, I shouldn't tarnish it by mentioning such awards. Uh, <laughs> it's an absolutely wonderful documentary. Guys, please do check out uh, Last Call, The Shutdown of New York City Bars on VOD very soon. And please uh, stay tuned for the sequel. I can't, I can't wait to see it. Hopefully, you'll come back on and talk about it then, Johnny. Sure, yeah. Uh, this was fun. And, uh, yeah, as long as you have that Star Trek memorabilia behind you, uh, yeah, we're good to go. Excellent. I'll keep it up just for you. Uh, sir, just before we do let you go, though, uh, this gets played out later on the radio. Uh, what tune would you like to hear coming out of this uh, this interview for the radio version of the broadcast? Since this film is takes place mostly in Queens, uh, if it's possible, Nas's uh, It Ain't Hard to Tell off his the Elmatic album, which is his first album, that would be... Uh, that would be great if that's possible. Nas is, uh, Nas is uh, yeah, Nas is, uh, it ain't hard to tell. Thank you very much, Johnny. If you're listening on the radio now, please enjoy Nas's, uh, sorry, <laughs> you see, I'm so professional, I've forgotten the track name already. Oh, it's, it ain't hard to tell. It ain't hard to tell by Nas, here it goes.
There was Tupac featuring Elton John and Ghetto Gospel. Uh, we've had a great old show here tonight. Guys, I hope you heard all of, all of it. There was a little bit of concern that when we were talking about Loki, the TV series, that maybe we might have somehow accidentally been on mute. We're not sure. We, you may have heard that, you may have not. Again, if you're listening to this on podcast form, if it's missing, we will have re-recorded. If you're listening on the repeat, uh, I'm not sure if I'll be able to get a repaired version in time for that. But um, if you heard silence, I apologise very muchly. It's been a great time, though. We, of course, talked as well about Black Widow uh, with Nicola. We talked about the big question of the week, which is what cults would you start if you could and what would you be your first rule? And uh, we talked about the old Black Widow, which was an amazing film. And also we spoke to Johnny Sweet from Last Call, the shutdown of New York City bars. It's been a wonderful time. Uh, guys, look, I just want to end by talking about, uh, we mentioned it a bit earlier in the show, but uh, lockdown's finished. Uh, for all intents and purposes, lockdown in the UK, uh, or certainly in England, is no longer at the moment. And with that comes a lot of mixed feelings. So there's a lot of us who are really happy that we've got our freedoms back as they see it. They see it as Freedom Day to be able to do the things we haven't been able to a long time. A lot of other people see any restrictions still in place as being ogreous. And uh, um, there's still a lot of us who are getting used to the idea of things uh, not being locked down when uh, rates are still rising of coronavirus. Whatever you feel about it, whatever you think about it, please be respectful of others. Understand why people might be glad to be able to go out and see their friends and family and be able to enjoy the freedoms um, without restraints and masks and stuff. Understand why people might be a bit uh, wary of people without masks, why they might want to keep that on public transport and in the shops so they feel safe in those places where it's necessary for us to go in to eat and to travel to work, for instance, uh, if people are not working from home such as I get to do. Understand this about people and be respectful. And that's all you can ask, because we're not going to always agree, but we can always be kind. I've been Dr. Scree, that was my show, and please remember, in a world where you can be anything, please do be kind. I'm not trying to win. I'm not doing this because I want to beat someone, or because I hate someone, or because, because I want to blame someone. It's not because it's fun. God knows it's not because it's easy. It's not even because it works, because it hardly ever does. I do what I do because it's right, because it's decent, and above all, it's kind. It's just that, just kind. Hey, you know, maybe there's no point in any of this at all, but it's the best I can do. Why not? Just at the end, just be kind.